If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I always thought Lance was a witch, and I'm not sure how we can prove that, but if he floats. I think we should try that on video sometime. Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how's it going today? It's going great, Tim. I cannot complain. How are you? I am doing great. I'm really excited to talk about this this story today with me, you, and Jen, our friend, our coworker, Jennifer Amell. She's joining us in this episode. We're talking about the Tanganyika laughter epidemic of 1962. And on the surface, this incident struck us as being rather creepy. It involved school children uh, that were aged anywhere from 12 to 18 years old, all coming down with this contagious laughter that they couldn't control that went on and on for over two weeks. And the more we talked about it, the more we started to unpack unexpectedly the causes of something like this and linking that to being in a stressful environment yeah, it's a really wild story and uh, just something we found interesting and wanted to talk about. And these are the kind of episodes we're going to try to do more of. So actually, if you've got a topic, feel free to email it to us, crawlspacepodcast at gmail.com and follow us on social media. I hope you like this conversation. And head on over to crawlspace-media.com to check out everything that goes on in the crawlspace universe. Speaking of which, Tim, we have a new live show that is coming up on December 4th. It's going to be in Salem, Massachusetts at the Salem Waterfront Hotel. A nice intimate engagement. It's going to be a live reading of the story Sacrifice, which premiered in podcast form last year, last December. It was from the show Stories from the In-Between. That is our fictional podcast. And the story was also published in an anthology book called Deathlehem, and it's a collection of haunted Christmas tales. The proceeds of that book went to the Elizabeth Glazer Pediatric AIDS Foundation. And we thought it'd be cool to have a live event where we have the actual narrator, Sarah Shekels, there. She's going to be reading Sacrifice and proceeds from that show, as well as book sales. The books will be on sale there. Also, we'll go to the Elizabeth Glazer Pediatric AIDS Foundation. The link for all of that is in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Use promo code STORIES21 for $5 off. Welcome back to Crawl Space. Jennifer Amell, how are you today? I am doing very well. I've been laughing all day because of our subject matter for this episode. Jen, are you ready to take a trip to Tanganyika? Am I ever? 
(laughs) (laughs) You always talk about Tanganyika to us, and you say that you want to build a little cottage and rent it out on Airbnb. It really seems like a riot over there. It does. It's uh, (laughs) nonstop, nonstop laughter. Uh, What are we talking about, guys? Today, we are talking about the Tanganyika laughter epidemic of 1962. And if you're saying, I've never heard of that, or where the heck is Tanganyika? Tanganyika was a sovereign state, and it is modern-day Tanzania, which is in East Africa. East Africa, near the border of Uganda, but... We are actually here to talk about this laughter epidemic. Like you said, this was something that happened in January of 1962, and it is creepy on numerous levels. One, this affected mostly children. The symptoms went on for up to two weeks or or 16 days, depending on some of the accounts that are documented. Yeah, it started with school children aged 12 to 18, and uh, the teaching staff apparently was unaffected. And so it, it affected at least about 95 pupils, and then it spread. It spread to neighboring villages and towns as well, and schools. This all started at a school, a uh, middle school for girls, right? This was a school called Ramashenyi girls middle school i think we see this across episodes like this like episodes of mass hysteria that they kind of overwhelmingly affect the female population which i find very interesting and we'll sort of unpack a little later but this ended up spreading to numerous schools right yeah that's right it spread to 14 different schools and jen you mentioned mass hysteria i thought we were talking about laughter Yeah, well, this has kind of been branded as a mass hysteria event. And that's a a little bit of a layman's term. I think we most of us have probably heard of a concept like that. But in psychology, it's uh, known as a mass psychogenic or sociogenic illness. On Wikipedia here, um, there's like a, a brief overview of what this illness is. It is, quote, the rapid spread of illness signs and symptoms affecting members of a cohesive group originating from a nervous system disturbance involving excitation, loss, or alteration of function, whereby physical complaints that are exhibited unconsciously have no corresponding organic etiology. So all that is to say that this is a thing that that doesn't really have an explanation in the body. There's no physiological symptom of something happening, but it is a psychological trigger. Is there something that can be attributed to the cause of this, the trigger of this? Yeah, there's there's been a lot of theories. I mean, I think from what I've read, it's really hard to research something like that in a kind of controlled way, I would say, because like you have an event, you can't predict an event of mass hysteria. So you're kind of going in forensically and looking at what happened and you don't find any physiological causes, but you're kind of saying, well, if it's not all of these things, then it must be this other category, which is mass hysteria. So we don't really know what it is, um, but it's kind of a catch-all term. So it, it's something that stems from the nervous system. Is this something that could have been influenced by um, 
stressful events that have been slowly escalating and then whatever this unknown trigger was happens in one person and and then is a domino effect to those around them? Yeah, I would say that's that's a pretty accurate thing. There's this Dr. Christian F. Hempelman of Purdue University. Um, He said that in 1962, Tanganyika had just won its independence um, and students were kind of growing up in this like rapidly changing kind of perhaps violent situation. And because of this stress and anxiety, this psychogenic illness occurred because of the outside stressors in their lives. These outside stressors, they caused fits of laughter, fainting, flatulence, respiratory problems, rashes, crying, and screaming. Uh, Though no injuries were reported that I've read, but in all, 14 schools were shut down and a thousand people were affected. And this one school shut down once, reopened, and then closed again uh, because of this uh, this laughing fit. Yeah, I wonder what that would be like. I guess it was just happening in class and not at home, which speaks to this like point that you made, Lance, that you're seeing your peer have an uncontrollable laughing fit. And so it spreads to you because you're observing it in a way. It's not like these things were happening in isolation, but I imagine that's like super disrupting to the school day. So I think it's also on top of that, Jen, it's also telling of the the circumstances of the times. And even though it's 1962 and we're coming up to the 60th anniversary of that in January, do you think they were looking at that as like, stress-induced? Do you think they were looking at the environment and what was going on around them and saying, you know, maybe maybe this is happening because of the circumstances that the country's going through? Or, or do you think maybe it was just completely, maybe they were completely baffled by the whole thing? Yeah, I don't know at what point um, these researchers were positing these explanations for mass hysteria or an event like this. I don't know if they were looking exclusively at the Tanganyika laughter epidemic, but there's been so many other uh, instances of uh, things like this um, from the Salem witch trials to there was a, an instance in Würzburg, Germany, where there's an outbreak of screaming, squirming and trances in a nunnery. And that led to the execution of a witch. So it depends on the, I guess, time period of when these events took place. But I think like um, with no explanation for why this would happen, of course, you would like turn to an occult or like spiritual influence for something like this. But now in our modern era, uh, I mean, in the 60s, you would have like psychologists and sociologists looking at this through the lens of science. Yeah. And that Christian Hempelman that you mentioned earlier um, also gave another example. He said uh, from his time living in Lafayette, Indiana, there were workers at a local DMV were exhibiting respiratory distress to the point where the building was uh, repeatedly shut down and eventually relocated. And uh, But they found nothing. And ultimately, the local media reported it as a case of uh, mass psychological illness. And, and it's just Hempelman says because it was a terrible work environment, essentially. It's funny to me that, not funny haha, but interesting that laughter is a symptom of stress. Certainly not one of the most common ones, but it's there. It's like a release, right? It's like a nervous system release. Yeah. Like a yawn. Yeah, that happens. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but that happens to me all the time. If I'm in like super serious 
situations like at a funeral or something I have this almost like unsuppressed need to giggle or something and it is a release of like built up stress or emotion that that is like a physical symptom of something that that comes from the outside these immaterial things such as stress anxiety poor working conditions um stricture surrounding the school uh, being in a war zone all of those things can come out in really strange ways i think we've probably all experienced it on a film set um whether it's a comedy movie or not where two actors just start sort of laughing at something the other one said and all of a sudden you got to take a break because uh, you can't say those words or else they trigger the actors and then sometimes they trigger the crew and and it, it literally has happened i'm sure to you guys as well oh yeah i mean it happens on these interviews sometimes <laughs> yeah. i mean we have blooper reels for a reason right 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 and there's stress on movie sets you know and people are ever everyone's watching you know you it's a, you're actually trying to do your job as you're uh, sort of laughing through it. it the, the laughter is technically preventing you from doing your job in that moment. Yeah, I would I would say that that is a coping strategy that we three have too. Like on a day-to-day basis, we talk about some pretty dark stuff, um, missing persons, murders, you know, all this sort of thing. And like, it's not right. But in the midst of recording these things, we will we will break out into giggles, not because the material itself is, is funny, far from it, but because it's like, God, this is dark. You know, you, you'd have to release somehow. It is a really interesting uh, concept if you're thinking about it, you know, in the terms of a small scale, like like you're talking about our interviews or working on a movie set, like these are small, isolated incidents. And then you have the mid-level ones, like the one that we started off the episode about where the school children start to laugh and then it affects, you know, other school children. And once you eliminate them from their school, once you remove them and now they're isolated, then it gets better. But then you put them back into that environment and it triggers again and it builds again. So there's that mid-level part. But then this is almost like the foundation for very influential people to form cults because you can introduce mass hysteria to moral panic and then groupthink and mass psychosis where you can use these uh, incidents and then blame it on something. You brought up the witch trials, the Salem witch trials. So if you have this impoverished country that's going through changes that's very stressful to its citizens and causes something like the children to start laughing because they see their parents and their teachers super stressed and there's always stressful things that's being thrown in their faces and they're not they're not able to control what they're consuming visually and it's propaganda they get stressed they start laughing then that's just a doorway to these people to walk in and create this moral panic why are they laughing well they're laughing because of uh whatever right insert devil worshiping insert witchcraft and now you can start to take advantage of um of the situations and and not to not to classify individuals but then you can there there are there there's those in in these cultures that would be more susceptible to the influence of somebody like that maybe somebody who has lost a parent or something yeah absolutely i think um there at least in the wikipedia page there was a sociologist called robert bartholomew alongside of a psychiatrist simon wesley and they actually looked at the, the culture-specific um, aspects involved in the Tanganyika laughter epidemic. And they looked at like what was happening in Africa as a whole in the 1960s. And they saw like many instances of like these smaller 
missionary schools um, in East Africa that were traditionally run by elders who were like super strict and had a very conservative um, way of running things. This kind of cultural dissonance, they said, uh, of like modernism coming to to Africa at that time. And like those two things chafing up against each other is what kind of gave birth to these what's called conversion reactions. And that's an interesting thing in itself. Conversion disorder. Have you guys ever heard of that? No. It's a lot like the mass hysteria concept, but it's seen a lot in different pain conditions. For example, there's something that happens called a pseudo seizure or a non-epileptic seizure. So it's like a person looks like they're having a seizure. They have all outward uh, symptoms of a seizure, but they don't have the same electrical disruptions in their brain as a normal seizure does. So like for all intents and purposes, like this is like a completely psychologically triggered physiological event, but they're just as real as like regular electrical seizures. So conversion disorder is kind of playing on something like that where something happens in your mind or from outside stressors and like causes a physiological thing to happen. How does that differ from a panic attack or an anxiety attack? I'm sure it does. Like technically I'm not a psychologist, so I, I can't point to the difference there, but it's probably along the, the same lines. Yeah. Yeah. And when you look at that, then you look at the, the situation that somebody was in or, or was going through when they had their panic attack or panic attacks. And you can see how that could translate in a, in a couple of different ways. It, you know, someone could have instead had a uncontrollable bout of laughter in the middle of a supermarket because of stress. Or, you know, instead they have um, this uh, panic attack or this, uh, this, you know, have conversion disorder. Yeah. And I think like what makes um, mass hysteria so interesting is that yeah, we're, we're um, getting to a place where like mental health issues are more talked about now. Um, but that's kind of an intimate experience when you have a panic attack or like have some sort of anxiety disorder or a mood disorder. But what's interesting about this is that it, it happens in one and then spreads to others. I think that's why different researchers have looked to like the cultural context of what's happening to explain how so many people could have the same physiological symptoms from a context of like uh, psychological triggers. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And it is it just keeps reminding me of the witch trials, not only in Salem, but the witch trials in Scotland and uh, historically just the witch trials throughout history and how hysteria was always classified as something that was only in women because of some sort of like imbalance of uh, fluids or chemicals, like chemical fluids in their bodies. And and that, of course, has to be related to a witch because then they have to run the parallel to religion because it can't be something at the time diagnosed medically. Right. I think there is definitely a through line at least for for women involved in these sorts of things of like it happening because of some moral reason, you know, but if it's divorced from morality, like because you weren't living in a Christian way or because you committed adultery or whatever the hell the reason was, it was like the influence of the devil or or she's a witch or something like that. But now I think researchers have posited the theory that a lot of mass hysteria comes out of populations who have been historically oppressed. And we know that women 
have been historically repressed, especially in uh, societies like Salem, where you had the kind of puritanical rule. But yeah, as we as we look down the list of these different mass hysteria events, like a lot of them are women or are people living in situations where they don't feel like they have any power. I always thought Lance was a witch, and I'm not sure how we can prove that, but See if he floats. I think we should try that on video sometime. There's a number of ways we can run some uh, diagnosis, some diagnostics. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jenny, you said uh, you, you you said people who don't have power or with power. People who don't have power. Right. So, I mean. What do you think of then when you and this is, uh, I guess, uh, not in relation to the the female aspect to it. But what do you think of then when you think of mass hysteria and groupthink and the moral panic when you think of a group of people who don't have power, who just lost power, who are now caught up in this mass hysteria or moral panic and embark on something very dangerous? Are you? talking about cults or religion well i'm i'm talking about the third reich and nazis how they lost everything and that was used to generate a groupthink mentality to assemble an army to to assemble an army to 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 conquer the world yeah i I guess there's some parallels there i mean i think that was part of hannah arendt's argument in her banality of evil treatise like on how the nazis came to power and it for sure was based out of this like fear-mongering ideology like initially and then kind of morphed into this like germans are the greatest nation on earth the greatest race on earth that sort of thing so i think like it divorces at some point from this mass hysteria thing but yeah it definitely has its roots in that See, my, my whole goal with this conversation is to take it as far down paths that at the end we can say Wait, we started off with laughing kids because it was just kind of a creepy article that popped up. <laughs> right. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. Well, I think the mystery of the effects of stress on a human body seems like a mystery for the ages. I mean, really, right? Like we, sometimes there's just no rhyme or reason to how stress affects a person. Yeah, I agree. And it's like, how does oppression play a role in that? It's like, if you historically have not had a voice, or like, even if you've screamed from the rooftops that you deserve the right to vote, or, you know, whatever, um, your cause may be, I think, like, a more headline catching way to get attention on yourself is to do consciously or unconsciously to do something like this that you can't ignore, like a laughter epidemic and tied into that is like it's not just one person who has is uncontrollably laughing in this case and in many other cases it's like a whole group of oppressed people so together doing something as strange as laughing uncontrollably they're like drawing attention to themselves it's not the most um direct approach to you know talking about what's wrong in your society but it it definitely gets attention I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but uh, and I didn't even think I was going to mention it on this particular episode, but it is uh, it speaks to what we are uh, discussing. Um, I've been reading different excerpts of this book called the Malleus Malficarum, which is 
a book that was I don't even know if you could call it a book. It's a it's a um it's a guidebook that was written in the 1400s. It's been translated a couple of times and it is uh translated as The Witch's Hammer and it's two religious figures who wrote this instructional like manual on what to do in the case that you encounter a witch. And they were very influential people in their time. And they cited examples that when you're reading it, sounds incredible. Like how a priest was approached by a young man who said that his genitals had been removed. He, they're gone. It's just totally, totally blank. And, and it was after he met this woman. And then the, the priest says, well, you've been bewitched and you need to go beg for uh, whatever you need to beg for to get, your, to get your genitals back. And then the priest swears to, swears to God that uh, the, the individual did what he told him to do, came back and saw with his own eyes that his genitals had returned. Um, and I know that little cut right there will probably make a rap song <laughs> later on, <laughs> but yep. but these are these are these are very influential individuals who put this in there as fact, and and I mean we know now that that's not true. That didn't that didn't happen, and it was probably something that was lost in translation through different writings, where maybe the man's libido wasn't there. Maybe he had some sort of ed you know and was simply saying like i've i've lost the ability to use my uh to 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 use my 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 you know my manhood go on, like I, go on. yep <laughs> <Digging. laughs> no but you know what i mean like maybe maybe he's impotent he's trying to figure out like why and and who do you go to at that time like you go to you're not going to a doctor you're not going to wait in a waiting room you're not going to like uh, for hymns.com like you're going to your you're going to your priest and i was just and, gonna say you're gonna go to for hymns.com yeah like so that I, I that's probably where it was lost in translation and they have this hysteria of witchcraft and he he probably felt ashamed that he wasn't able to perform with a woman and and went to the priest and said i got nothing down there and it was took literally. Um, yeah. I, I, if you pull back on that a little bit, what I see out of that anecdote is that, so you have this oppressed group of people, um, women generally, although men were also accused of witchcraft too, but you have this oppressed group of people. And then you have these witch hunters who are part of the oppressive group trying to take back the power by fighting witchcraft. It's all kind of an allegory for a power struggle. Sounds like book seven of the Harry Potter series. Harry Potter and the Malleus <laughs> Malfricarum. Harry Potter and the missing junk. Yeah. <laughs> well, personally, um, I remember uh, one time laughing uh, while being in the presence of a family member who was giving a, uh, a blood transfusion, and I, I couldn't be in the room. The nurse uh, kicked me out because I was giggling. They said uh, I was apparently close to passing, passing out um, based on my reaction of just laughter, which I was just like, you know, giggly and just thought it was funny. And they were like, no, get out of this room right now. I would say that that's probably something that is in the top. It might be number one for nurses to like as a as a uh, indicator, you know, if, if this person's in the room and they start laughing get them out. Like that's probably in like the top three uh, warning signs to get somebody out. 
Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, people have a whole bunch of like strange physiological things that happen to them when they're under a lot of stress. This makes me think of like how the true crime community looks at people who are suspected of crimes and like their reaction to their loved one's death or their friend's death. Like, oh, they didn't cry, so they must be guilty. Or, oh, they laughed, so they must be guilty. And that's just not the case. Like, grief is, it comes out in strange ways. It's interesting you mentioned that. We're working on a secret project, a top secret project here. But I will reference a moment in that top secret project where a gentleman learned of his wife's death and continued to do, I mean, his wife was there, and continued to do the business that he needed to do, which was write a check to somebody so that they could go and pay off uh, a contractor. Um, in between calling for the for the police and for the ambulance while he was waiting, continued to write the check and, and wanted to make sure that that check went to the contractor. And people looked at that and said, well, that's very suspicious. Like, why would he continue to do that? And he probably to this day can't answer in any other way than that was something I knew I needed to do. And, and it, it is interesting where stress would take you psychologically when you don't know what you should do. And this, this, individual operated construction yards and contracting and had a very high stress job. But, you know, in his brain, just based on his work, things always added up. You put this here and it goes here. Like it's always like square corners and, and blueprints and measuring twice. And that probably felt better for him knowing like, well, I came home to do this. I got to finish this. I can't, I can't bring Mm -hmm. my wife back, but at least I can finish this. Yeah, it sounds like shock. Like yeah, he shock. just kind of reverted to his like tasks he did almost by rote. It's like, well, these are the things I set out to do today. And like, oh my God, here's this like horrible thing that happened that I can't even look at right now. So I'm just gonna keep going down the line of tasks to do. But it's it's yeah, I mean, like this larger conversation of like how really stressful or traumatic situations can affect you is like so important to have because. It's interesting, like in Western medicine, the mind and the body are viewed as two separate things, like hence why we have MDs and uh, psychiatrists or psychologists, you know, we think of these things in like very, very separate ways, but that's not so in a lot of Eastern traditions, they're looked at as like two systems that interface together. So of course, if you were looking at this through like an Eastern perspective, like, of course, stress within a culture would cause a group of young students to uncontrollably laugh. Like, it wouldn't be strange from that lens. Mass hysteria today, is it different in the age of social media? I mean, it's totally different in the age of social media because that's just a way to distribute your propaganda. And maybe we can talk about this without getting too political, but... If you're looking at social media, that's just a faster system to deliver propaganda if your intent is to cause a moral panic. And what society would you be trying to impose a moral panic on that you know you can be successful and it's one that has some some cracks in the foundation for whatever reason? And maybe it's a warning sign like what happened in Tanganyika with children laughing hysterically for no reason, there's your sign that this 
this society, this, this community is stressed. So if you have that fast, accelerated delivery system of propaganda, where are you going to, to, to deliver that to a country or a society or a culture that seems to be strong and has everything together, both socially and economically? Or are you going to try to infiltrate a society or culture that has some, some flaws, some cracks, and they're working it out? Right. Because the laughter epidemic ultimately was contagious. So there's some contagious aspect to this. And if you're not together physically, um, you can still be together electronically via social media. Absolutely. And think about something being contagious, a contagion. Do you do you catch anything when you're not influenced by the thing that has that particular symptom? No, don't be around people whose symptoms include laughter, and you probably won't start laughing uncontrollably yourself. And 18 months after the laughter epidemic began, it started to die off. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.